Good evening, everyone. Thank you very much for coming. We will continue with our discussion this evening of Srila Jiva Goswami's Paramatma Sandarbha. We're in the 105th Anucheda on the fourth subsection of the section. Anucheda, the word itself means section. Srila Jiva Goswami is going to continue to elaborate upon his main theme of the 105th Anucheda. Now he is further discussing the meaning of the opening verse of the Srimad Bhagavatam. Now in the Vedanta Sutra, well, as the word says, sutra, the different sutras are there. So they're like concise, compacted gemstones of transcendental knowledge, the Vedanta Sutra. But we notice that in the the beginning of the Tattva Sandarva, Jiva Goswami, in speaking of Srimad Bhagavatam as the Praman, or the topmost evidence, that topmost scriptural presentation for entrance into spiritual knowledge and the book upon which his whole Sandarbha, Sandarbha itself meaning to extract the essence, he says that he refers to the verses of the Bhagavatam itself as sutras. So he's looking to the verses themselves as being equivalent to the sutras in, a, in the Vedanta Sutra, that they, they have that much information packed in them. So generally when we think of sutra, we think of something that's like it needs to be really unpacked for us to understand it. Atato Brahma Jignasa. We saw in the last subsection of even this Anucheda the way that uh, Sri Jiva Goswami unpacked just that word Atato, showing that it, it has a lot of meaning. And he also mentioned in that Anucheda that all the commentators on the Vedanta Sutra have arrived at, at, the, at the same conclusion. When, they, when they've unpacked the first sutra of the Vedanta Sutra, they've, word to, they've referred to this atato just as he's referring to it here and with the same meanings that he's bringing out in this 105th Anucheda. Here, in this fourth subsection, which is titled, The World is Real, Sutra 1.1.1. So we'll see what Jiva Goswami has to say here. Now he's already, to this point, Satyam Paramdi Mahi, he's established the subject matter to be inquired about. Satyam Paramdi Mahi, that supreme Satya, that supreme existence, and we should meditate on that. So here, he's going to begin his elaboration upon that idea. Srila Jiva Goswami writes as follows, 
Thereafter, Vyasadeva depicts Bhagavan's transcendence, Paratva, by the word Dhamna. Here the word Dhamna, Dhamna, Dhamma, means influence or radiance, but not intrinsic nature, Swarup. Since it is said in the Amara Kosha, a house, the body, light, and influence are the symptoms of Dhamma. Amarakos is a Sanskrit dictionary. In this regard, the word kuhaka means the deceiver, and and this refers specifically to the maya potency that covers and deludes the nature of the jiva. So the meaning of the phrase, so the phrase that he's referring to here in the beginning of the subsection, and that he will elaborate on for this whole subsection, is Damnaswena Sada Nirasta Kahukam. So this is from the very last line, the first sutra or verse, however you want to refer to it, of the uh, Srimad Bhagavatam. So the whole verse reads as follows Damnaswena Sada Nirasta Kahukam Satyam Param Dimahi. The verse, of course, begins Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya Janmadyasya Yato Nyavad Itari Tas Charite Swabijna Swarat Tena Brahma Hrida Ya Adi Kavaye Mayanti Yat Suraya Tejo Vari Mridam Yatha Vinimaso Yatra Trisargo Mrisa Damnaswena sada nirasta kahukam sachamparam dimahi. So this evening's Anucheta is dealing with this last line and these beginning words, Damnaswena sada nirasta kahukam. So Jiva continues. So the meaning of the phrase, Damnaswena sada nirasta kahukam, is let us meditate on him by whose own influence Swena Damna, or in other words, by whose own intrinsic potency of illumination, Swaprakash Rupaya, his Maya potency, Kahuka, is forever eternally dispelled. This has been stated elsewhere. Then he quotes from the Bhagavatam by dint of your conscious potency, Chit Shakti. You have cast away the effects of Maya. So he's elaborating. This is like all these, this whole section is an elaboration to give us some insight into the nature of that Satyam, that eternal existence, supreme, Satyam Param, Dimithi, whom we should meditate on. So he has this phrase, Damna Swena Sadana Rasta Kahukam, is speaking of, and Jiva will unpack this, is speaking of the fact that that supreme eternal existence, and he's already established that that existence has personality, that that existence is so transcendentally powerful that Maya itself 
is dissipated just by its by his nature. Now, generally, when we speak of the nature of the Supreme Lord or his intrinsic nature, in other words, what constitutes God? What's, what is he constituted of? And we know that that constitution is generally divided into three broad categories. Sandini, Samvit, and Ladini. He has existence, potency, and that potency, when we look at it in terms of the spiritual dimension, is presided over by his brother. He supports everything. He's like the existence, manifest existence, potency of the Supreme who provides all of the Lord's necessities under all circumstances in and in all manifestations. You have Vishnu lying on Seishanag. Who's Seishanag? Lord Balaram, the manifestation of Lord Balaram. And then we have the Samvit potency, knowledge, awareness, uh, cognition. And that is attributed directly to Krishna himself. And then you have his potency, Ladini of Ananda. That potency is also looked at as it can also manifest, and that manifestation is presided over by Srimati Radharani. So these potencies are his Swarup Shakti. They're like what is the Supreme. They're his main constituents. But they also they also have these these attributes that are visibly present and engaged in the Leela. It, it must be pretty amazing that we have these concepts of Sandini, Samvit, Ladini, and we also have the personifications of them. They're all contained in the Supreme, but they're also manifest in his abode in a personal form because everything there is personal. How can we comprehend? We can only meditate upon such umparam di mahi. We can meditate upon these potencies. Now, this is an interesting anucheta and an interesting approach that Jiva Goswami's taken here. And we will point out by by reading the translation as presented in English of Vishwanath that he attributes this potency that holds well basically defeats Maya. In other words, it's it's it just it's the Lord's internal potency and that's its characteristic. So this is the intrinsic understanding of the potencies of the Supreme that's being presented here in the last line of this introductory verse of the Srimad Bhagavatam. The extrinsic will also be dealt with, but that'll be dealt with further on in this discussion and earlier on in the verse itself. So we won't jump ahead of ourselves quite yet. Bye.
dint of your conscious potency, Chit Shakti, you have cast away the effects of Maya by your Swarup Shakti. But Jiva goes on to say, but don't look at it that way. And then he seems to go back and say, but if you do, it's okay. So we'll read on. If this potency, now we're talking about that potency that just, it just like Maya dissolves in its presence. In other words, it has no standing. Maya cannot stand in, in, the, in the presence of this potency of the Lord, which is part of his very nature. But Jiva says, well, but don't consider it Swarup Shakti. Still, it is to be concluded that the potency that is intrinsic to him is characterized by its capacity to repel the diluting energy. Additionally, by using the instrumental case, it is shown that this potency of his, Swena Damna, is the most efficacious means for doing so. I'll read on before we unpack it a little. From this it is understood that the real existent, Vastu, which is distinct from Maya and her products, is his essential nature, Swarup, or in other words, the intrinsic characteristic, Swarup Laksanan, that is definitive of his essential being, expressed here through the words Damna, Swena, Sada, Narasta, Kahukam. This is well known in Shruti statements, statements such as the absolute reality is existence, consciousness, and limitless. And the absolute is a personification of consciousness and bliss. So Jiva Goswami is simply unpacking these meanings. And when we were considering Satyam Param Di Mahi, we need to understand if we're talking about the beginning, and remember, this is the beginning of understanding. First, we atato brahma jignasa. So we are going to inquire into that supreme reality, which then, how should we conceive of that supreme reality? Satyam param dimahi, that supreme existence that we would meditate on, we must see that there's no maya there at all. So any frame of reference that we would have in contemplating supreme existence would have to be a contemplation free from any conception of maya. So our contemplation is on that supreme that can actually that actually Maya cannot even stand in front of that Maya is separate from that his part of his intrinsic nature is the fact that Maya has no standing there in the supreme existent. Now this opening verse does speak to the material manifestation. But that aspect, the fact that we can see a relationship with our situation as 
somehow having something to do with the supreme reality. Otherwise, there has to be some something going on there. Either God had to make us, or we're part of God, or we are God, or however we want to conceive of it, this literature will completely explain that so that our meditation can be a mature and and knowledgeable meditation. That's really what this whole Krishna conscious adventure is about. Entering into total meditation on the Supreme. It's an interesting way to look at your devotional practice and see how, how far along we, we are individually or collectively in that process. Are we thinking of Krishna constantly? Is everything that we do in our consciousness Krishna conscious in our external manifestation of consciousness, how we walk through the world, how we see the world, hear the world, smell the world, taste the world, everything as presented by the acharyas coming in our line is an attunement or as we've spoken of it here in the context of the Sandarbos, a completely a complete turning of consciousness towards the Supreme. How are we doing at that? It's a good thing to wake up in the morning and say, how, how, how am I faring at the, at the real job of becoming Krishna conscious? Am I waking up thinking favorably toward, towards going into my morning prayers or my morning deity worship or my morning service, whatever we do first in the morning? How, how, am, I, how am I conceiving of that? Really, the, the objective is to ultimately enter into samadhi. Dimahi, that dimahi is going to become so overwhelming at a certain point along our devotional practice that it takes over every aspect. And, you know, we read about the yogis and they start off by controlling their breath and then they meditate and first they contemplate and then they meditate and then they eventually they end up in, in samadhi and there's a whole progression one by one. For the devotee, it's the same thing, but we do it in a very practical way. But the practice is the same. Now, of course, some devotees just say, they just go, well, I just want to internalize it all from the beginning. We have a class of devotees called Bhajan Anandis, and they just like uh, nothing. I don't want any contact with society. I don't want to think about anything except Krishna. I'm going to force myself to do that. And they may even instruct their disciples, and you should follow my example. We have that in great or great great grandfather Bhakti Sanatas, spiritual master Gorka Short. What preach? Don't waste your time. What can you? What good can you do for materialists? Just what did Bhakti Siddhanta do with that, though? From a practical viewpoint, he followed that instruction for ten years. He did nothing but chant. I've heard it said from reliable sources coming into simplic succession, he spent ten years 
just chanting. So he went inside to go outside. So he followed his, the instruction. Of course, he had another spiritual master, and he said, well, it's okay. We need to go out a little bit, outreach. So he went in, and then he went out. And what did he do? He did the greatest things when he came out of that that period of intense bhajananandi. He started a movement that was just fantastic. And he was able to spread it throughout India in a very magnificent way. We're seeing in this opening verse, Jiva is bringing out, how is this Dimahi? How is this meditation? We have to have realistic expectations. Guru Maharaj, Swami Triparari said to me at one point, he said, you have to have realistic expectations. He said, you should convey this. I was writing an article and he said, make sure you get that point across. Realistic expectations. And then he said, how many devotees practically are going to enter into samadhi in this life? the audience that you're, that you're trying to reach. How many are really going to enter into a state of that focused state of Krishna consciousness where what we would call a, sama, a samadhi, a state of samadhi. I'm not talking about being buried in salt. I'm talking about every thought being fully focused on Krishna at every moment can't really distinguish if you're in the material world or in the spiritual world. If Krishna is around the corner, if he's here with I mean, even for me, from my viewpoint, I don't know about you, but I can't even conceive of the sense of existence that I saw in my spiritual master, Srila Prabhupada's eyes. His eyes would be teared up. You'd see in his face, in his whole countenance, uh, an absorption but he was functioning. He was dancing and giving classes and eating prasadam and walking on the beach with his disciples. And But sometimes you caught a glimmer of was he there or wasn't he there? He was com- completely absorbed in Krishna consciousness and he would have to pull himself away from that, you could see. I could see that sometimes. I'm sure other of his disciples did too. It's a very profound... So this happens with those devotees. You become so absorbed. And that has to be the objection. We're expected in due course of time, based on the course of sadhana bhakti, to rise to the platform of bhava bhakti. I'm struggling with anartha nivriti, but... <laughs> And there has to be a stage there of nista, of steadiness at some point. That's going to take us to a stage of ruchi, where every part of your service is relishable to you. Uh, Guru Maharaj sometimes talk about ruchi. In the beginning stages of ruchi, there's certain things you appreciate and th- certain things you may not appreciate at the same level. That's a beginning stage. Ruchi could advance to the stage to where you appreciate it all. Whoever's leading the kirtan, whoever's, it's all appreciable by you. Who's ever giving the class. And then asakti, and then bhava, and prem. So much lies ahead, and it should be enthusing 
to us. You know, to see the, the prospect of what's being placed before us as an, uh, an opportunity. Who would not, not do as much as they could to rise, rise to the occasion? It's, it's rare. So we should do that. Here, Jiva Goswami is giving us this insight into the fact that if we're going to meditate, if we're going to meditate on that supreme existence, then understand this is a characteristic of that meditation. See that supreme existent this is the beginning of the Bhagavatam. The Bhagavatam will unpack this verse for not 12 cantos. So this Satyam Param will be completely explained to us. Yes? Um, you were saying that Maya cannot stand in the presence of, of the Chit Shakti? Well, the Sarup Shakti. Oh, the Sarup, I thought you said not the Sarup Shakti. Well, no, I'm saying Jiva is referring to this potency that's innate in Krishna to look at it in a different way. In the very beginning, he says, here the word Dhamma means influence or radiance, but not intrinsic nature, Swarup. His radiance enough, that in and of itself, without even considering it his Swarup Shakti, now he goes on and says, you can consider it as Swarup Shakti, that the radiance itself is enough to dis- dispel Maya. And that's what's being conveyed in this term, Damna Swena Sada Nirasta Kuhukam, but not intrinsic nature. Since it is said in the Amara Kosha that this word, in other words, Jiva is looking closely at the words that Srila Vyasadeva is used here in this first verse of the Bhagavatam. And this, this depiction, these words, Damna Swena, should be looked at according to their, these definitions. Therefore, he quotes the dictionary definition. Let us, let us meditate on him by whose own influence, just by his influence, Swena Damna. You could say Swarup Shakti, but because these two words are being used here by Srila Vyasadeva, you should look at it as his influence alone is enough to dissipate Maya. But of course, where's that influence coming from? It's coming from his very nature. But Vyasadeva chose these words carefully for a reason. That's what Jiva's bringing out here. He chose these words for a reason. And let us meditate on him by whose own influence, or in other words, by whose own intrinsic potency of illumination, Swaprakash Rupaya, his Maya potency, Kahuka, is forever eternally dispelled, i.e. eternally dispelled. This has been stated elsewhere, so then he, he gives some evidence from later in the Bhagavatam. So it's an interesting point. 
There has to be a reason that Srila Vyasadeva used this wording, this phraseology. Or he could have just said, the Lord Swarup Shakti dispels Maya. He could have said that, but he didn't. And these two words together have a specific relationship and convey a particular meaning. Otherwise, just the one word would have been sufficient. In this way, direct reference to the Swarup Shakti has been made in the very beginning. And then he goes back to Swarup Shakti. And from this, it is clearly evident that the Satyam being described is none other than Bhagavan. We'll continue. Now he, Jiva says, Vyash shows the logic behind the depiction of this Bhagavan as the prime reality, Mukyam Satyam, with the words, in whom the threefold creation is a real emergent. Yatra Trisargo Mrisha. So now he's taken another section of the opening verse of the Bhagavatam. Yatra Trisargo Mrisha. This creation consisting of the three gunas in the form of the material elements, the senses and their deities has its foundation in Bhagavan Vasudeva who is all pervading due to being Brahman. Being an emanation from this very supreme regulator, the creation too is not false, like apparent silver superimposed upon an oyster shell. Jiva keeps going back to this theme. This is not, we're not going to, don't look at the supreme. He keeps circling it back to this. This post, I'm not quite yet done with this. I really want to make sure that there's no room or no wiggle room in your consciousness for a conception of the Supreme creating a world that doesn't exist. You're real, the world's real, God's real, and that's the reality. So don't be misled by other spiritualists that may try to tell you differently. That's what Jeeva is trying to do. And he comes back around to that. And he brings it out in the very first verse of the Bhagavatam. He's pulling this out. Now, if you remember your reading of the Bhagavatam, whoever's edition you read, this first verse, generally their commentary on the first verse is a dozen, two dozen, six dozen pages of commentary, depending Vishwanath Chakravarti has meaning one, meaning two, just keeps on going. Or you can look at it this way, or you can look at it that way. The unpacking of this first verse is, that's why this particular Anucheta, which is the unpacking of Jiva Goswami, is up there in that line. He's unpacking it in accordance with the understanding that he wants to convey. And what's he come around to? Well, don't think differently. Because here, this phrase, Yatra Trisargo Mrisha, is referring to a reality. A reality coming from the supreme real. So we've talked about the intrinsic nature of the Lord's 
ability to completely dispel Maya, that Maya can't, but then Maya's coming from the Lord. He's that existent upon which that other existent, that other Shakti is manifest. Being an emanation from this very supreme regulator, the creation too is not false, like apparent silver superimposed upon an oyster shell. Rather, it is indeed real satyam due to being eternally situated in that Brahman who is celebrated in Shruti statements such as from whom all these beings spring forth. Remember, he mentioned to us this the terminology Brahman here that I'm going to explain. Don't think of that impersonalist concept of Brahman. This is truly a, a matter of of the viewpoint of the transcendentalist studying the scripture, is it not? Some transcendentalists, when they see Brahman, they think of that unqualified spiritual consciousness that pervades everything. And depending on their their school of thought, if it's well-founded in scripture as what we would call a, a pursuer of the concept of Brahmavadi, the study of Brahman or the aspiration to to enter into that supreme consciousness. But our concept and the concept that Jiva wants us to adopt when we're seeing it here is that supreme conscious effulgence of the supreme personality. Yatova Imani Bhutani Jayate. And because he alone is its creator, as said in the Brahma Sutra, names and forms are the creation of the Supreme Brahman, who compounds the elements together, Trivit Korvat, because it is so instructed in the scriptures. So we see these statements in the scriptures where they, the use of the word Brahman is there. They're not saying why not use the terminology Karnadakshai Vishnu? He puts all the elements. No, the Brahman. So the scriptures speak a lot and use this terminology Brahman, but in a very personal way. Right here from the Vedanta Sutra, it's saying names and forms are the creation of the supreme Brahman who compounds the elements together. So we, we could take that misconception and say, well, how could this this verse from the Vedanta Sutra being, be speaking of a qualityless, formless, potency-less? I mean, that's the main distinction between the personality of Godhead and the impersonal conception of the Supreme. Our God has potencies. Name, form, quality, pastimes, that's our Brahman. And we love him for it. It's a hymn. He's got a sex. He can also change sex at times when he needs to <laughs> bewilder certain people. But he also has that. But that's our God. That's our lovable Brahman. 
He's got all these shaktis. He's got all these characteristics. He's not just consciousness. Just It seems that that concept of the Supreme is supported throughout the Upanishads. Here's a verse from the Vedanta Sutra. He puts the elements together. Got the whole world in his hands. Because it is so instructed in the scriptures. Because the scriptures say that what that's what he does. Not that's what well it couldn't do anything because it doesn't have any speak of Brahman like that in an impersonal way all the time. It does sometimes. He also verifies the creation's non-illusory nature by way of an example, even as fire, water, and earth intermix with each other to produce material objects. Tejo vari mridam yatha vinimaya. Another section of the first verse of the Bhagavatam. The intermixture, vinimaya, of Fire, water, and earth means that there is an, a there is a partial and mutual exchange of these elements which continue to remain in each other in part. And just as this microscopic in, interpenetration of individuated elements is not false, but the way matter has been evolved by its eminent regulator so too it is on the macrocosmic scale with the cosmos as a whole. As said in the Shruti, know how these three gods become threefold, trivrit, each in their own turn. So these energies intermix and manifest the material world and it's real. If it wasn't real, Srila Vyasadeva would not have used this kind of an analogy that this intermixture of fire, water, and earth, he wouldn't have used that an analogous expression in talking the material world if it was just an illusion, if it wasn't a real thing that could be compared to a reality that we have awareness of. We have awareness of fire, water, earth. We see in manifestations around us different amounts of these basic elements in so many objects. Some have more of one, some have less or more of the other. We see that. So we should also understand this intermixture of these potencies within the material manifestation as evidence to the fact that the material manifestation is real. As we go on, Jiva Goswami will explain to us, he'll further elaborate on this first verse and give us some indication of the proper methodology when it comes to the main purpose, dimahi, meditation. So that's going to come out going forward. So are there any questions? Well, 
It's interesting that the back of the Godhead was like the name of the magazine. Like the name, did that begin? Did that begin when, uh, afterwards or before? Before we fell or afterward? I don't know. <laughs> before Shri Prabhupada passed away, was the Bhakti guy that before? There was his name for the magazine. Oh, was it? Okay, that's interesting. Back in the 40s. Yeah. Wow. Wow. So it's, it's just interesting that that's the name of the magazine. When that's yeah, a lot of people put a lot of stock in that. And that's the biggest the argument, really. Prevalent. Well, something that had to do with England. Was some... It could have had a a hundred things to do with a thousand different things. I don't know why my spiritual master chose that name, but that doesn't make it the tattva. His choice of those English words does not make a siddhanta for a sampradaya. That's not how we determine the siddhanta of the sampradaya and the tattvas that constitute it. So unless you can show me that you could take any any statement made by Acharya and, and give it the same evidentiary weight in all circumstances as the statements of the Shastra itself and those specific Shastras that the Goswamis have pointed to, like Srimad Bhagavatam, Bhagavad Gita. Just keep our eyes on the prize here. And the prize is having the, the most comprehensive, thorough understanding of the Absolute Truth as we can that nourishes our spiritual growth. Some people, if they need to need to think that they were with Krishna, playing with Krishna, and it nourishes their spiritual growth, that's fine. But at a certain point along the way, they're going to realize that, wait a minute, what about all these statements that are explaining the Lord's internal potency and its characteristics and attributes and and the characteristics and attributes of all the personalities that are in that transcendental atmosphere. And nowhere do we find in any of their attributes or characteristics anything whatsoever that would lead you to believe that they would be envious, that they would have a thought other than Krishna even enter into their mind. That's not transcendence. So, you're going to fall? I want to get out of this place? No. What constitutes their character? If their character is the same of Krishna's character, and Krishna's character is laid out right here in the beginning verse of the Srimad Bhagavatam is such that just his illumination dispels Maya. Eternally. Eternally. <laughs> And you're of his nature when you're in the transcendental realm and you don't think your illumination can dispel Maya? It doesn't compute. doesn't work. What are we struggling so hard to get to the transcendental realm so we can be continually attacked by Maya? And Krishna didn't mean what he said. Having once gone, gone there, you never... He didn't mean that. So... <laughs> Are gods a liar in this in the Bhagavad Gita? Now I'm not saying God doesn't lie, you know, but when he lies, he, he's not presenting the tat with some bandagyan. He may lie in some circumstance of relishable loving exchange. So let's let's put things in perspective here. 
All right. Thank you so much.